Ephesians has six chapters in it. The first three chapters are all about what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Paul doesn't tell us in the first three chapters of the letter of Ephesians anything we're supposed to do. He does not give us any commands for the most part. There's one command about remembering how bad off we used to be, but Paul does not call us to any kind of actual actions. He just tells us everything that God has done for us. Starting in chapter 4, Paul begins to teach us how we are supposed to live in light of all that God has done for us. So the first part of Ephesians, God has done all this for you. The second half of Ephesians, because of what God has done for you, this then is how you should live. Being a follower of Jesus is not simply about believing the right things. Following Jesus means that what we believe will shape how we behave. The part of Ephesians we're going to look at today really crystallizes this thought for us. Our behavior is a result of what we believe. How you behave in your Monday through Saturdays is a direct result of your belief system. That is not a controversial statement. We all know this to be true. If you believe being physically fit is incredibly important, you will exercise and eat well. And that was an unfair illustration on Breakfast Sunday. If you believe the long-term effects of playing football on the human body are harmful, you're not going to let your son play Pop Warner. If you believe that the speed limit is more of a suggestion and less like a law, you're going to do 80 on 422. You're like, well, everybody does that because none of us believe that's the actual speed limit. What about this one? If you believe that you will be rewarded in eternity for putting your enemies to death, you will hijack planes and fly them into buildings. Our behavior is a result of what we believe. Listen to what Paul says to the Ephesian church in verse 17 of chapter 4. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. So whatever he tells us, Paul is saying, in the authority given to him by Jesus Christ, this is what we're supposed to do. That you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Paul insists that people who follow Jesus live differently than the rest of the world. The way Paul is using the word Gentiles here is similar to how we might use the word pagan. Don't live like pagans do. Don't live like people who do not have any reverence, respect, or fear of God in their life. Don't live like people who don't know the risen Christ. Notice this, that Paul connects how the Gentiles live, how they behave, to what they believe. They act in a certain way because of the way that they think. And he describes their thinking as what? Futile. The futility of their thinking. My son Joseph and I, he's 11 and he's 6'9", um, we were shoveling the driveway a couple snowstorms ago. You remember when we were having snow in spring, that was a blessing for all of us. And it was the worst snowstorm of the whole year, it was just a couple weeks ago, and I'm out shoveling my driveway. And by the time I got to the end of my driveway, I looked at the beginning of my driveway, and it had the same amount of snow as when I started. 
And I turned to my 11-year-old son and I said, this is an exercise in futility. And he's like, what does that mean? I said, look it up. <laughs> futility means meaningless, useless, worthless. With one word, futility, Paul describes the human race. Our meaningless thoughts has led to a meaningless existence. And now, Paul is going to elaborate on just how futile Gentile thinking really is. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 18 through 19. This will really cheer you up. This is how he describes all those living apart from God. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. That is not a verse your grandmother cross-stitched on a pillow and gave you for your confirmation. If you have a Precious Moments collection, this is not on it. What has led people who don't know Jesus Christ into futile thinking? They are darkened in their understanding of God. They have refused to see the light of who he is. They have experienced an intellectual blackout. They are separated from life with God because of a deep ignorance that permeates their being. They have hardened their hearts and are void of desire to worship and know God. They have lost sensitivity, or in other words, they have become callous and numb to spiritual reality. Some of you are here this morning, and you are callous and numb to spiritual reality. And God is calling you to wake up this morning from the dead. And all of this futile thinking has led them to choose a life marked by sensuality and impurity, which is basically like everything that displeases God. And all of this behavior, sensuality, impurity, it never satisfies. Have you noticed that? When you do things your own way, things that you think are gonna be so good, always end up leaving you with what? A continual lust for more. Because sin never satisfies. Because life apart from God never actually fills you in the way that you hope it would. When a person is ignorant of the true meaning of things and the true values of life as God sees them, when they believe the wrong things about who they are and who God is, that person will make his or her goal in life something other than God. It may be the gratification of his or her body with sex, or drink, or drugs, or food, or your career, or your 401k, building wealth, your status, or sports, or shopping. Because our behavior is a result of what we believe. We will behave in a way that reflects what we believe will give us life. And many of us here this morning are trying to find life apart from God. We are trying to find it in our children. We are trying to find it in our families. You're like, those are really good things, how dare you? They're awesome things, but too many times we take good things and we turn them into small gods. 
And so we pour our whole lives into our families at the expense of knowing and loving God. Some of you know that my daughter, Lucia, who's nine years old, is going to have major surgery on May 15th to correct a deformity in her legs. Lucy has a genetic condition that causes abnormalities in her bone growth. As we are preparing as a family for her surgery, we're preparing her and we're preparing ourselves. Do you know what we want to know about Lucy's surgery? We want to know all the facts. We want to know exactly what things are going to be like. We do not want the surgeon to lie to us. We don't want him to make things sound better than they really are. We want to have a grip on reality of what surgery, post-op, and rehab is going to be like for her. An incomplete or sugar-coated diagnosis does not help anyone heal. I understand that these words from Paul about life apart from Christ, they're unpleasant. They're hard to hear. And many of us want to resist them and reject them. And the defense attorney that lives inside our hearts has told us that this is an exaggeration of the truth and that I'm just making things up. But they are God's unvarnished diagnosis of the human condition. Today, only the naive and the Disney Channel doubt human depravity. School shootings, systemic racism, sex trafficking, and the total moral collapse of our culture in all its forms should provide you sufficient evidence that God is not a liar. We refuse to see the light of who God is. And I'm not just talking about our personal morality. I'm talking about the things that our culture embraces, that we buy the agendas of our political parties without realizing that they oppress people groups. Jesus is not just concerned about our personal holiness. He is concerned about us bringing mercy and truth and love to a lost and dying world. Everything we see in our culture, all of the breakdown at every level, is evidence that God is not a liar. We may think that we are basically good people, especially in comparison to others, and that's what you are probably doing right now. I'm not as bad as a school shooter. I'm not a racist. I don't participate in sex trafficking. But you tell white lies. You're not content with what you have. You're greedy for more. You glance at pornography every now and then. You gossip behind people's backs. You take long lunch breaks at work and steal from your company. We are all totally affected by sin. And all of us readily acknowledge at least this this morning, that something is off kilter with the human race. Because we are darkened in our understanding, separated from God, willfully ignorant because of our hard hearts, we all prefer to live by our desires and medicate ourselves with Netflix. Instead of thinking deeply about who God is and what kind of lives we are called to be living, 
We choose medication. We choose to ignore the truth. This is always true for people outside of the church. But if we're honest this morning, including me, at times it still describes those inside the church. So that's the bad news. What's the alternative to an intellectual blackout, a hard heart, and deep ignorance? Is there something or someone to believe in that leads to a way of life that both pleases God and allows humanity to flourish? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 21. After Paul gives us a stinging diagnosis of our condition, he tells the Ephesian church, and he tells the people of God and all those who would care to listen, you, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him. And actually the translation is here, surely you heard him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Paul is saying to the church that they were not taught to wind up ignorant, darkened, and hard-hearted, living futile lives. They were schooled in the ways of Christ. The Christian life is not about learning facts. It's about learning a person. The way we stop living a meaningless life that is defined by giving into our desires is to instead give our lives to hearing and being taught by Jesus Christ. If we want to believe in something that leads to life instead of futility, we have to go to school. You're like, good news, we're in a school. You're doing great this morning. In order to learn how to live a life of meaning, we have to enroll in school. And the name of that school is Jesus U. Jesus University. That's what you need to enroll in. Jesus embodies and encompasses the truth. Find Jesus and you have found truth. Find truth and you will find Jesus. Truth does not exist apart from Christ. At Jesus U, Jesus is the teacher, the subject, and the sphere of learning. Before you can escape from the futility of life apart from God, you have to hear the voice of Jesus and enter his school to be taught by him as a trusted master. Not your personal assistant, but the Lord and the leader and the master of your life. Jesus' voice is the power that breaks through the darkness and ignorance and awakens you from a life of hopelessness and meaninglessness into a life of purpose and significance. Jesus says these words in John chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. I tell you the truth. Jesus will always tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He is crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The heart of Jesus for you this morning is that you might find life in his name. And the life that Jesus offers is not simply a ticket to heaven or a get-out-of-jail-free card. It is not just simply about the future. It is about a transformed life today. He has diagnosed our disease 
and now he gives himself as the cure and as a teacher to everyone who hears his voice and becomes his pupil. For many of us, we do not make time to get to know Jesus. Sure, we might listen to a sermon now and then, but we aren't students of Jesus. We don't consider ourselves enrolled in Jesus you, and our lives reveal it. Some of us are wondering why our passion for God has waned or is non-existent. Some of us are wondering, why am I bored with my faith? Why do I keep returning again and again to the same sin? Because we prefer to give ourselves to endless trivialities instead of engaging our minds and our hearts in the serious pursuit of knowing Christ. It's safe to say we don't give nearly enough time and attention to learning and knowing Christ. And I want to be clear about something. For almost every one of us, the reason is not because you're too busy. The reason is not because you're maxed out. The reason is because you've made lesser things of greater value to you than knowing Jesus. But Paul is trying to warn you this morning from falling off the cliff into futility and reminding us that life and truth and joy and purpose and meaning and satisfaction are found in Christ alone. And if we want to be serious about our study of Jesus and we want to enroll in Jesus you, there is something that we need to do first. Many of you, if you went to college, there are certain things you have to do when you enroll in school, like buy your books and then sell them back for 10% of what you paid for them at the end of the semester. You need to meet your roommate who you hope doesn't snore. You need to purchase a meal plan. I don't know why they make you do that, but for some reason they always do. And then they make you take out a loan that you're gonna pay back until your 50th birthday. But when you enroll at Jesus U, there's one thing that he requires. You need to change your clothes. Paul says these words in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, like your Gentile way of life, futility, meaningless, darkened in your understanding, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We sang about it this morning. The Christian life is all about becoming a new person with a new mind and new desires. The spiritual reality of following Jesus is like changing out of old dirty clothes and into fresh, clean, brand new clothes. This is gonna be hard for some of you to believe, but I used to be a construction worker. I was the world's worst construction worker. I did it for 10 weeks over a summer once. I was on a stucco crew. I definitely lost money for the company. They were excited to see me go and move on to the Olive Garden. But I used to work on homes and do stucco, and they used to have me glue foam to the side of homes. And you would take this really blue and sticky 
glue, blue glue, and you would put it on the back of the styrofoam, and then you would put the styrofoam on the wall. And at the end of a day of work, if that's what you want to call what I was doing, I would get home, and my clothes, and my shoes, and my hands were covered in blue glue. I could not wait to shower. I could not wait to get clean. I hated the blue glue. The best moment of the day was when I took those old clothes off, got the glue off of my body, and was clean for the next 12 hours until I had to go to work again. That's what it's like with Christ. He takes away our sin-stained clothes. He takes away how we've stained our hands and our bodies. And He gives us a new and clean set of clothes to put on. The best news for you this morning is that with Jesus Christ, there is hope for us to change. We need to take off our old selves, which is corrupted by our unrelenting desire for sin and destruction, and put on our new selves, which results in becoming more and more like God, living a life of righteousness and holiness, or another way to say that, a life of purity. Too many of us want Jesus, but we want to keep our own clothes on. We don't want his new clothes. We actually love our old clothes. We want to hang on to our old way of life and dabble in our favorite sins from time to time. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, you've surely had the thought, well, God has to forgive me, so I'll do this just this one time. And you've discovered that that is always a lie. And though we serve a God who is incredibly gracious, that is not the new identity that he has given to you. We want Jesus to save us, but some of us, we don't want Jesus to totally transform us. Jesus calls us to newness of life. He calls us to put our sin to death and follow him. He calls us to say no to our desires. Let me just say something that I know is very countercultural. Jesus expects that you will say no to your feelings. I know. Some of us believe that what we feel and what we desire, we must act on. That's because even when we become new, that old part of us still rears its head sometimes and tries to woo us back and remind us, you miss your old clothes, don't you? But Jesus says, put on the new self. Become the new person I've created for you to be. We need to ask ourselves this question. Why do we love our old clothes so much? Some of us, you just need to be honest. Why do we love our old clothes? What lies do we believe? What is holding us back from saying no to ourselves and yes to the new life that Jesus offers? Why do we actually believe that our old life is better than what Jesus has for us? Let me tell you that holiness is a lot more fun than self-destruction. I was thinking about that all week this week. Holiness, righteousness is a good time. People think sin and self-destruction is a good time. It is for a moment or for a couple hours, but it always ends in death. However, I want to be clear about something this morning. Putting on the new self 
is not about you working hard to change yourself. The message of Jesus has never been try harder, do better, try to earn my approval through your good behavior. Christianity is not a moral self-improvement plan. At Jesus you, change comes in a totally different way, by grace, through faith, so that the professor gets all the glory and not the students. The new self we need is not something we create by our behavior. It's something that has been created by God. God creates the new clothing for us and we put it on. God does not say, okay, here's a sewing machine, go gather some thread and sew yourself a new shirt. He creates a new identity, a new self for you out of his grace and he says, put this on and you'll become like me. The Christian life is always rooted in grace. Our works and our behavior is always an outflow of the grace that we have received. So what we're left with is a decision. A decision to live out our new identity as new people. I started this message by saying that our behavior is a result of our beliefs. When we embrace the new identity that Jesus offers and commit our lives to learning from him and studying him and thinking, thinking deeply about him, our minds begin to change and new and true and right beliefs begin to be formed in us. And what looked so good in the past, we see that it only leads to death. And all of the restrictions we think God wants to place on our lives, we realize those are his way of leading us to life. When we immerse ourselves into the life and truth of Jesus Christ, we will see transformation. Jesus does not offer us quick fixes, easy answers, and superficial strategies. Jesus is not a self-help guru. There's not seven easy steps to improve your life. He simply says, come to me, follow me, learn from me. He asks us to renew our minds by filling them with his truth. He calls us into ultimate reality by helping us see the world through his eyes. He calls us out of meaninglessness and into a life of purpose. He calls us to be people who think Think. We are people who are supposed to think deeply about the meaning of our lives in light of who Jesus Christ is. We are people to give ourselves to learning the scriptures, to worship, and having open ears to hear his voice, learning from one another about what living for Christ looks like. Jesus calls out to us to follow him, and in doing so, finding meaning even in our everyday tasks. Jesus calls us to leave our past, our shame, and our guilt behind and experience new life hand in hand with him. Jesus does not say, come to me after you're new. He says, come to me to become new. You do not need to clean yourself up. You don't need to do lots of acts of penance to come to Christ. You simply need to come with your old clothes and say, Jesus, I don't want these anymore. Jesus has something better than futility, ignorance, and darkness for us. Life with him. So what should we do? 
here's three things you should do. Number one, you should make time for Jesus as often as possible. I know this is going to sound really judgmental, but maybe we should watch less TV. Maybe we should be on our smartphones a few minutes less a day. Maybe that romance novel really isn't where life is found. Maybe of all the hobbies we run to to give us meaning, they're not really there. You know what, I watch TV and I have hobbies. I have a family that I love deeply. I love being with them. I love being with my friends. Today I'm gonna watch the Masters this afternoon. But I'm not saying that the Christian life is we become boring people who only sit around with our Bibles open all day. What I am saying is we are people who are passionate to know the living God and we make time for him. The second thing I think we should do is let the old you die. Man, that scoundrel always shows up in my life. The old me, he's ever present. Even as I love, try to live out my new identity in Christ, there are severe moments of temptation in my life. There are moments when the things this world offers looks better than what Jesus has for me. But I know that old man is a liar. I know that he often shows me the pleasure of sin and not the destruction. So we need to put the old us to death. We need to speak the truth into our hearts that all the ways of God lead to joy and life. Some of you this morning, you've been coming here for months or years, and the secret to change is actually not that complicated. It's growing close to Jesus. It's fighting the battle for purity in our hearts and in our mind. It's repentance when we know that we've done the wrong thing. It's finding grace from Jesus to say no to our desires and yes to him. And Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit, the presence of God into the heart of every follower of Jesus so that we can say no to our flesh and yes to our new clothes. Let the old you die. And the third thing we should do this morning is come to Jesus. Some of you are here this morning and you're, you walked in here and your heart was hard. And yeah, you're not a school shooter, but you know that something in you is broken and not right. You see the reality of who you are. And you know that so much of what you do, you feel that sense of hopelessness and meaninglessness. And for years and years, you've dismissed Jesus Christ. And today is another opportunity where he is calling out to you saying, come to me to find life. There are many in this room this morning who need to come to Christ and experience the new life that he offers. So if we could, for just a moment, could we be perfectly still?
And could we bow our heads and close our eyes? If you are the kind of person this morning who is here and knowing that newness of life is really what you need, you need to leave your past and your shame and your guilt and your sin behind. And you need to become like Jesus. And you need to be made new. If you know that you've been living lies and you want to come to the God of truth and the God of grace, if that's you this morning, would you take a bold step and just lift your hand across this room? I see those of you to my left. Anybody else this morning? You know that you need the new life that Jesus offers. Thank you. Thank you. Could we pray this morning together? Lord, I pray for those among us who are saying that they need the new life that Jesus Christ offers. Lord, I pray that you would be close to them today and that they would reach out to you in faith and simply say, Jesus, come into my life. Make me new. Give me the new life that you offer. I turn away from my sin. I turn away from my old life and I embrace the new. I want you to be the leader of my life. You are the Lord of all. I want to follow you. And Lord, for the rest of us this morning, I pray that you would continually transform us. God, I'm so grateful that you don't look at me and say, Joe, clean yourself up, get your act together. Day by day as we walk with Christ, he changes us. He transforms us. I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning who are in this room who keep trying to find life apart from Christ. Lord God, I pray that you would help them to live in the truth that life is found with you. And you are not a God who is far off. You are a God who wants to stick closer than a brother to us. Lord, help us to realize and recognize that you are always present and you are for us, not against us. Change us. Help us to be righteous. Help us to be holy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.